All right, so it is another episode of What Do I Do Now? Season 2. This is episode 8, I believe. This is running off this year. And this episode is someone that I truly got to spend a lot of time with while he was here with the Radio 1 family due to the pandemic. Things change, so he's no longer with us, but is always going to be a brother to me, always going to be family. Um, I'm here talking with Jared Milton. How are you doing this afternoon, What's man? What's good, Sam? It's a hot boy summer, huh? Always going to be back? a hot boy summer. Are we always. Going, we going to New Orleans this summer, Doug? We're going to have to. got to find a way to get there, bro. <laughs> it, I mean, I got a hybrid now, too, so, you know. We, That's right. You are in the hybrid family. You know, yeah, we, hey, we hey, out man. here. Let's coast, Doug. Let's go down to the... <laughs> we already miss Essence, though, so, you know, we got to find a new another reason to go down there and find some aunties. I mean, that's that's your spot, though. You know, you went to Xavier and I'll all that, so... You know you, I'm going to find them. You know where they at. I all the that. auntie mamas. You're right. I mean, so, we, we can get some locals all day now. Facts. But that was, like, so uh, if, in case people don't know what we're talking about, I'm just, I'll, I'll catch them up if you don't mind. Go ahead, go uh, ahead. We took a trip back when I was gainfully employed with Radio 1. When we were both working under the same company, we uh, took a trip down to New Orleans for Essence Festival. Uh, it was a lot of fun because... The uh, people who actually, you know, were broadcasting down there, they got a chance to fly, and then they got to take uh, Uber to the hotel from their from the ho- from the airport, and then Sam and I got to take a road trip, rolling in these streets in my Chevy Volt, yes, all the way to New Orleans. So I've driven to New Orleans a million times before. I went to Xavier University in New Orleans, so uh, I've driven that route to uh, New Orleans a million times. So uh, Sam was with me in tow, and we drove down to New Orleans. We Got to know a lot about each other. We I learned a lot about your music taste. He yeah. knows a lot of like we, he's we a both diverse were like vibing, ass. Like we- <laughs> you're a diverse ass dude, man. I was just like, wow. I'm like, I'm trying to play some stuff that he's never heard of before, and he's just like singing it. He's like, hey, man, I'm from Indiana. Like, <laughs> yes, that is exactly facts. what. Yes, I my I get vast it. range was from riding a public school bus and shout out to all my bus drivers that I had. Because they kept it on the local station. Hey. And here we are. Hey, man, that's what's All these up. years later. Be diverse, dog. Diversity is where it's at. Be Absolutely. different. So, yeah, that's how we clicked. We we yeah. So we had a hot boy summer. that that We called it the hot boy summer in that trip to New Orleans. So we got we to gotta get back up and do another, do another trip one day, my brother. I'm absolutely down. I've been needing a good being yay. So, oh, man. Yeah. And I, oh, the drive through daiquiri. So yeah, we, remember that? Yes. Oh man, we got so drunk. <laughs> that was the best. So that much was, trouble. Hey, um, and then Randy running into Rakim on the checkout. Oh like, yes, yeah, right. We did so much we down did, there. It was just, it was a lot. It was Essence weekend. Who knew the Essence weekend was? That was my first Essence. Was that your really? First? That never was been my to first. Essence before. It was the twenty fifth anniversary. Yeah, and it was and lit lit. So I had never been to Essence before. Shout out to Essence Music Festival. I don't even know if they're a sponsor. Let's we go claim that. Yes, yeah, right now in we advance. Claim it right yes. now that they're a sponsor of this Essence. show one day. But yeah, uh, I, who knew that it was it was such a lit experience? Like so many black people, and like so necessary even after you know what we went through in 2020, like in 2019. Who knew that we needed that kind of energy, you know, for the year coming up right. ahead? So. We needed every single bit of that black energy that we got when we were in New Orleans, and now I'm hungry for it again. I want to go back. We that. we definitely got to plan it, and yeah, we'll definitely get that done. So really what this episode is going to be about is the transition after being let go, unfortunately, due to the pandemic. Great story. Yeah, so let's just, you. how long were you here at Radio 1 prior to? Uh, I worked here for about six years. I started in 2014 just after Cinco de Mayo, and I don't know why I remember that, but yeah, it was around like the beginning of May, 
And yeah, about April 20th or so of 2020, yeah, I got a call from my supervisor that I was go I was going to be let go and it was kind of a shocker, but I wasn't I wasn't too shocked because I just knew the climate of radio in general. Mm-hmm. Like I'd seen so many people come and go working here in radio that it was just like that inevitability was has always just like loomed over my head. So you just kind of always have to prepare yourself when you work in radio to lose your job. That's just I've seen so many people like let go, like saw them working one day and the next day they were gone. And it's just like, wow, mm-hmm. yeah, it happens. So there was that. And then there's also the concept of 2020 that happened, you know, the pandemic. People were losing jobs left and right. So I was just like, oh, I'm just blessed to still be here, still be working. And then there was other things that, you know, kind of came into play after I was let go to where I wasn't too worried about myself uh, financially or anything like that. So, I mean, it's not like it was, you know, a shocker and it was just going to like, oh, what about my kids? What about my life, my livelihood? You know, yeah. So it's not like it. But there were people who were affected like that. And so I do have to you have to take people like that into consideration. But I did have myself kind of set up to where I wasn't too worried about what was going to happen next. And shout out again to severance pay for you know looking after a nigga after uh they let you go so it was definitely a lot of factors that came into play that didn't make me worry but it again i it it happened you know we move on and 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 we trying to find other things to do uh and it was a whole year of trying to do that you know that's crazy of but it was a different let go you know it's one thing to be let go from a job because of whatever reasons, even here at radio, like I've seen people get let go for other reasons, but because of a pandemic, because of people got sick and died and, and they didn't want you to get sick and die. So he left you at home. I mean, you consider the circumstances of why you were let go. It is kind of like, oh, this is like far more different than anybody else who's fucking lost a job. It's crazy. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a normal type of yeah, man. situation that any of us were even aware of in. I don't think I've ever said this out loud to anyone outside of my immediate family, but the thing is, I got a phone call that day of the massive call from my program director, and I missed it because I was in a doctor's appointment. So when I finally got up here to the station and then found out everything, I'm like, was that a call for me to like, hey, bro, we good? Like, Because I've been let go from a station. So I feel like a lot of people that may not know the industry that you really haven't made it until you've been fired. So I'm like, if this is my second chance at being let go, I'm not prepared <laughs> at all. But it was just wild to me that that's what had happened. But coming into just what we really experienced last year where everything is really closed. And, well, Atlanta wasn't closed, but for the most part, nationwide, there were things that were being not allowed and things being hindered. So in a area like promotions where we're outside and we're meeting people and this, that, and the other – and that's no longer needed, it's kind of hard to keep paying people and try to keep stuff and even changing stuff to virtual. Like, it was a great avenue, but, like, people are missing the in-person relationships that we had and haven't had in a very long time. Yeah. I I do, I will say we adjusted a lot during that time. Even at the beginning of pandemic when I was employed with Radio 1, like, I got a taste of the virtual meetings and stuff, you know, that we got, you know, when we first began our pandemic break or whatever from work however you want to call it but i mean just to have to worry about going and sitting in a meeting every day in front of a camera i mean i I am for one blessed i didn't have to do that as often as you all did and people who were employed here and that's another thing i'm kind of glad i didn't have to go through employment during the pandemic because 
it just seemed like a half-assed job. Like everything was just kind of like, hey, we better find a quick relief, you know, um, in, in the meantime while we're getting through this as opposed to let's fix these issues and, you know, make them better moving forward for the working force, you know, at large. It's just like we, we didn't think of anything permanent to fix this. It was all just kind of, kind of like temporary fixes. And Zoom and virtual meetings was just like a part of that temporary fix. Mm-hmm. And people – you know, we're getting through it for a while. You know, they were like, I heard so many stories. And you see all the memes, people getting up out of bed with rollers in the hair, getting, jumping into a meeting and shit. And it's like, that's funny and stuff, but that's a reality for a lot of people too. And it was, and it's just like, damn, we didn't even have a plan to adjust for people like that. Like for, you know, people who do want to hop onto a meeting or whatever, but I just woke up. It's like, what plan of action do we have for people like that? You know, when they're at home, it's just, we, we didn't really set people up for what was to come and even still we're not set up for what's coming after this pandemic or the pandemic's not even over technically let's be real mm. people are still catching COVID out here yeah so it's like we're kind of rushing back we clearly are um i don't even know when in your office is coming back i think i heard August this month or oh this month this month up, right so after birthday bash yeah I people mean, are just... back to normal right yeah well so, quote unquote whatever the new normal looks like that's what i'm saying but it's like i don't think we've even found that you know, we're not, we, we won't. I haven't heard a solution for what's going to happen for the working world after pandemic yet. I haven't heard it from the president on down, let alone people in their own separate offices. I don't know what your plan, what, your, what you guys plan are, but I just haven't heard like a general, hey, this is what everybody should be following as far as guidelines are concerned to get people back to work or to Find an alternative, because even still, I, I don't even think that the, the, it's not. It hasn't even been, been officially announced that people should work hybrid work schedules. Like, I, have, have we even announced officially that the relevancy of a nine to five is kind of stupid at this point? Like, a forty hour work week is stupid at this point. Yeah. Have we have we not talked about that? But I mean, at and, the same and, time, like, and, and you have the previous generation that is married to all of that. The people that make the rules are the ones that have only seen it one way. So even after this pandemic, they're like, oh, no, you can come back in for, you know, these five working days, get eight hours a day, 40 hours in a work week. And we're going to go back to trying to be productive, not realizing that there are people that have been stupid successful and able to run off and do whatever they need to do, still get their work done and maybe get it done in 35 hours, but you still got to compensate them for those 40 hours. Well, stud- still putting those- studies have even shown that people have worked more than 40 hours at home. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you, when you're there at the house, at the crib, you, like, that's all you are doing is just chilling at home. So you're, you're producing a lot more. You're waking up earlier, doing work earlier, and you're working later because you're at the house already. So it's not like you need to rush to get home or anything. So... Yeah, they've even found to produce, to get more product out of you from being at home. So I just, again, I don't understand why this traditionalism still exists for people that need to come in and be here for 40 hours a week. It's just, and I think that's a lot of that is psychological too, because some people feel the need to get away from the house too. So I I won't even get into all that, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, the separate home and work life is something that I'm absolutely concerned with. Because I know for me, I've been in here in the studio. Sure. Six days a week since the pandemic, even right. before the pandemic. So that hadn't changed. But seeing how some people like literally just hadn't left the house unless they were going to the grocery store, like that cabin fever, I can only imagine. Yeah. And I know for me, I'm used to working in this industry. We're doing something. We're active. We're at this event. We're doing this remote. And we got this concert we're doing. To have everything come to a complete halt. Yeah. And it's 
it's different. Like radio even doesn't even sound the same. Like you'll hear people, you know, that are able to broadcast from their home studios, things like that, but it just don't even feel the same. Radio has had to adapt and evolve and, and change with what's going on, but even still, yeah. the, don't you think that feels a little temporary? Like how they did y'all as far as letting people record from home, giving like giving these alternatives and all this. Like it just it still feels like a fix. That's a temporary fix, and right now, and I think the operating cost I think is the underlying thing. Yeah. And if they can realize like, oh, you can still perform and do well in this market from home, this that and the other. Well, you don't need this office, and we can downsize. We can. I guarantee you, like the idea of syndication and a lot of uh, jocks being different markets only got heightened because of COVID. Like everyone getting shipped out and I love it and I hate it at the same time. I think it's a slippery slope because you do need shows like a Steve Harvey and a Ricky Smiley to start your day and this Mm -hmm. and the other. And if you're in a small area that doesn't have, you know, a solid enough local presence, you got to, you know, get it from somewhere else. You got to outsource that. But at the same time, there's people that need that local touch, that local feel to make and Atlanta's such a different market. Like it's mm-hmm. so big, but actually so small at the same time where people will literally walk up to the person I work for, Ryan Cameron, and like, you used to come to my high school way back in the day and this, that, and the other. And I remember you used to do this, that, and the mm-hmm. other and the birthday song. And it's just, they're so attached to it. Yeah, we love local. Like Atlanta, if you're not from Atlanta, it's it's it's, it's like a society. It's, it's an, it isn't a certain elitism that comes from, yeah. So it, we do want everything to be local. We want our radio stations. We want the people on our TV, like the newscasters. We want to say, Oh, I remember him when he used to be at another station or or somebody used to teach him in high school or whatever. So we love finding local people to be our beacons, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be that, that that person to kind of guide us and direct us every day. And so, yeah, we I do understand how having a local presence is, is necessary. So what y'all have done and what y'all continue to do even during this time and during and, and what you did during 2020, it's like, I applaud you guys, man. Y'all really like just fought in the trenches and it's just, you remained relevant, you know, you remained relevant. And it's just, and, and that that's just something that uh, a lot of people, a lot of companies have had to learn uh, relevancy uh, during the pandemic. And I'm, I'm just shocked. I'm going to admit I was shocked to find the radio one found a way to be relevant during the pandemic, because I just thought radio was going to be the first one to go. And that's the thing. Here you had are. to evolve. You had to adapt. You had to innovate. Mm-hmm. And I think that there were a lot of people and a lot of conversations just like, if we don't get this right, if we don't make sure that we stay on the forefront, we are going to fall to the wayside. And there's a lot of people that fell to the wayside, yeah. not even just due to the industry, just because they couldn't keep up and didn't understand the magnitude of what everyone was going through. Yeah. And radio is one of those mediums where you are the heartbeat of whatever the situation is going on. And you have a civic responsibility to either inform or entertain at the same time yeah. um, or even educate. Because there's especially there's a lot of bad information going on about COVID-19. And we got to be like we need to find experts to break it down very simply. So mm-hmm. when we get a Dr. Ian on. When we get health director for Fulton County or DeKalb County on the radio, we got it's got to make sense yes. because not everyone is going to take the vaccine. I get that. But at the same time, let me give you some factual information so you're more aware to the best of your abilities. And, of course, information is going to change day in and day out. But we have to do our part as the media, not be, oh, well, they all saying the same thing and this, that, and the other. Like, I take being 
in media with a grain of salt because I get the skepticism of it, but you can't discount what we're doing and how we're trying to get you that information every day. If there's something that happens you need to know about it, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And I mean, and, and I think that's what I can say about you guys, particularly, you know, you and Ryan, y'all do keep a certain level of integrity and, and that's not something that we find in just in the media in general. Like, who would think that radio would be the, the bastion of, of integrity uh, uh, when it comes to news and when it comes to information that's being disseminated? Because even when you look on, like, the actual news on TV, it's like you hear two different things on two different networks, and it's just you don't know who to freaking believe out here because it's just, it's, it's, it's just so much. And then you hear from so many different people, uh, you know, just from both sides, left and right, and it's just like you don't know who's believing the right information. And right. so you got to kind of believe. Again, that's where Atlanta people are different. We kind of listen to our local people. We listen to our people who we know uh, versus, you know, those who we don't. And and we, uh, you know, actually take it in and we receive it and we try and practice what we have heard. So, I, I, I again, listening to you guys has been quite you know, it's, it's, it's been it's been awesome. Not working this regular nine to five has shown me even I'm not even a 20 something anymore. But I've learned because I was I'm come, I come from a younger generation. I've learned that, you know, if you're not going to work a nine to five, cool, let's figure this out. Let's innovate. Let's figure out what's next. And I think a lot of people have done that even during the pandemic. You know, we've just figured out what's next. And I've kind of done that myself. You, know? you have done that. And I'm glad you segue into that so Smooth that boy know what he doing. He done working the radio long enough. We're like, I'ma leave you in with the question. I'm like, I got it. <laughs> got it. And something that actually came about from that is your clothing company, yeah, man. Uh, the Better Black Man Company. Yeah, dude. I, I started in a whole apparel brand. And it really started here at the radio station. I was talking to somebody uh who had her own apparel brand. Um, and she worked for the uh gospel station. She, you can say her name. She's oh, been cool. Okay, form. Crystal Lee. Hey, Crystal Lee. Uh, and she is the founder of Girl Plus God, which is an amazing Christian female-centric apparel brand. They do so many things. And she inspired me with the stuff that she does with these Christian women. I didn't want to segment myself with just Christians, uh, and that's fine, and Danny. But she and I sat down and had a really thought-provoking conversation when I was working here at the radio station about just apparel brands and just how uh, how much fun they can be, how much uh, how much opportunity is there in working in that kind of business. And, I, and, and it's just kind of a set it and forget it type business. Not forget it, but a set it and watch it flourish type business. And, I, you know, so she and I sat there and just tried to think of ways that I could, you know, run an apparel brand. Like, well, first thing is I need a, a, some kind of, you know, something to draw people to buy the apparel. And so we're sitting there trying to figure this out. The whole time I'm having an argument with another friend of mine, Bilal, who works here. He's an editor. He's the content editor uh, he's regional content editor for all these other different markets, including here in Atlanta. He handles a lot of online stuff. So anyway, he's, he's a big deal here in Radio 1. So anyway, he and I are having an argument in the hallway while I'm talking to my friend Crystal Lee. And he says this thing to me as he walks out very angrily. We, every argument we have ends with him being angry. Not me, but him. <laughs> so as he's walking out of this argument, he says, you know what? Be a better black man, Jarrett. And he bangs the door open and walks out, you know, with this huge exit or whatever. And me and Crystal look at each other and say, hey, be a better black man. What, is, what does that mean exactly? What it like, and what does that look like? And, and so I sat down and actually wrote that out and wrote that plan out and that vision just from him saying, be a better black man. So it, the shirt originally I, I wanted to have it said, be a better black man. 
And so then I just chopped down the, the B and it just uh, went to a better black man. And I said, why are we just challenging black men to be better? Why can't we challenge black women to be better? And so I opened that up to black women as well. Uh, but the whole concept of better and of betterment and being better, uh, people see it and they think so many things, particularly like supremacy, particularly with white people. They love thinking that it's about black person thinking they're better than a white person or any other person of color. But in actuality, to wear the shirt is to make the proclamation that you've decided to be better than you were before, to be better than you were yesterday, to be better than you were the day before that. Finding something in your day the next day to make you that much better than you were the day before, whether it's uh, you learn a new skill, whether it's you learn to be more uh, patient with somebody, whether it's you learn to love more uh, after uh, after yesterday. You know, it's it's just finding a way to be better than you were before, and 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 that's it's a simple idiom, it's a simple mantra to live by. But a lot of people have liked it. A lot of people have latched on to it. A lot of people are still learning about it, and that's a cool thing. I love talking to people about it because, again, people see it and they think, oh, I get so many bad looks from white people, white people too, because I don't know if it's the black word that triggers them. That's a whole other concept. That's a whole other conversation that, that, that needs to be had. Uh, it's not, it has nothing to do really with apparel. But uh, when people see the word, whether it's better black or it's just the word black, people tend to ask those questions, you know, like, well, why – uh, are you telling people to be a better black man? Why why can't you say be a better white man then? And and why can't if I say be a better white man, it'd be considered racist. So it still stems so many different conversations. You can be a better white man, absolutely. You can be a better Hispanic man too, absolutely. But I think you're just missing the concept. You just you have to fix that amongst yourselves. As a, to be a better white man, you have to figure out what you can do to be better than what you were yesterday. And so that's just the whole point of being a better black man. That's all I know is to be a black man. So um, I'm going to work on what I can to be the better version of myself every day that I can. And even looking at the website, which is thebetterblackman.com, you have, yeah, got to plug it. You know, we we trying to sell some shirts, trying to sell some merch. I love it. Being a better black family. Like you you made that available and yeah. really kind of opened that in particular. Because, I mean, of course, it starts with man and woman, but... That family dynamic, especially in today's society, it's always been like, oh, it's a single black woman raising her kids and this, that, and the other, and father's never around. What are you trying to pull from that aspect of it? Because that's a whole nother dynamic. Yeah. Um, a Better Black Family is something I just recently started. Uh, it recently just dropped this summer, actually. The concept of that is very similar. We consider the family dynamic to be that tradition of, you know, just a mom, dad, raising their kids in a quote-unquote right environment. And you know what? This is the 21st century, and being a better black family is so much more than that now. And I think that's something that we need to address as a black community is, is that, you know, whatever norms we were taught as being, you know, the way things are supposed to be, quote-unquote, you know, with air finger quotes in the air, you know, in the air or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's, it's, it's so much more than that. It, it, it's so much more than what these norms were that we were raised, raised by. And even still, those norms came from somewhere that was not a very good place even in the first place. Like, you know, the principle, the, the foundations of those principles of a family that we try to hold on so dear to, they come from a pretty negative place. You know, they come from a place, you know, surrounded by patriarchy, surrounded by uh, just a whole bunch of negative, toxic, masculinity-type vibes that just kind of ruin that family dynamic. And in actuality, a better black family, in my perspective, in my opinion, 
is some is it's just a family that that survives is a family that lives and thrives no matter what that dynamic looks like whether it's a woman raising her two kids whether it's a father raising his two kids whether it's a same-sex relationship raising two kids or three kids or five kids if they're happy if they are a thriving family then that's a better black family it doesn't matter if it's a man and a woman doing their thing and that's no offense Men and women, yes, y'all can still raise families. Yes, you can still have children. Yes, you can still have thriving, wonderful families and grow them. And, and nobody's going to shame you for having a dynamic like that. But there are many other dynamics, many other demographics of black people that exist beyond just that cookie cutters, um, traditional norm that we are just so used to, that nuclear family setup. The family that we've, that we've come to know in the 21st century, particularly the black family, is so many things. And so I, I just to wear that shirt again, a better black family proclaims that you and the people that you are around and you are, you know, more than you know, anybody else, the people that you are, are, it doesn't even have to be people that you're related to. You know, if you want to just your closest people that helped bring you out of a, a, a toxic relationship with your family, even and you consider them your family, you can wear the shirt with them. Like a family is, is just that, that close knit group of people that are, are needed for each other to lift each other up. Um, uh, during this time because no one else is going to do it for you. So the better black family can be anything you want it to be, really. It's just, you know, you make that family however you want it to be. You can definitely get your T-shirts at thebetterblackman.com. And what other projects do you have going on? Because I know you've done movies this summer. I know you've got your own podcast. You're doing a lot yourself. It's not just, you're not just one trick in this zone. Hey, man, I do a lot of things. so much, so... Tell the listening audience what all you have going on. Yeah, man. Uh, well, yeah, I do have a podcast, uh, Searching for Rick. Uh, it's a lot of fun. If you listen to it, just you know, take a listen to a couple of episodes if you want. The whole point is me and my co-host, Alice, we uh, kind of find celebrities who have fallen into obscurity, and we just try to bring them back to light somehow. You either figure out what happened to them, where, you know, where, where are they now. Some of them have died, actually. Dustin Diamond was one of the people, the guy who plays Screech on Saved by the Bell. We did an episode about him when he was still alive, which is crazy, because he, he died like a couple of months after we recorded that podcast mm. episode. Wild. But um, we tried to do our uh, celebrities who are still living and just kind of, you know, give them their props where they're due. But it's, it's a show that really does it have a mission. Like every episode, we try to find somebody and uh, figure out what happened to them. And so we do our research and we figure out where they are and sometimes it's good news sometimes it's bad news so we're going to try to figure out our season two right now we're, we're, we're recording some stuff uh for that we just started uh trying to find some material some new stuff finding some new celebrities who have fallen into obscurity and we'll come back with another season in a few months with that you know i, I do some acting yeah i've been acting for a while i do some stand-up stand-up was gone during pandemic which is wild uh people were trying to figure out all kinds of ways for me to get back into stand-up and i I've been doing stand-up for a few years prior to the pandemic. Went to a whole comedy school thing and everything. That was wild, too. But when I uh, finally got into the groove of doing stand-up, it felt good. It felt regular. And then I got off and I fell off in 2020, and I just didn't do any because nobody was having any open mics or anything like that. Right. So I just didn't have a chance to do any material. I get back up. I got back up, like, last Wednesday uh, after a 4th of July uh, holiday, and it, it was good. It felt good. Uh, you know, I'm going to be doing some more stuff. So, you know, I'll be around town. Uh, follow me on IG at Jared is not impressed, and and I will uh, you know give you some more information. There's two R's and two T's in Jared, but yeah, you know you'll you'll find out more comedy information you know through through that mainly through my IG. 
but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm always doing something. Actually, I just got employed. I just, um, I, I just uh, interviewed last week with U42.com, which is an entertainment platform. Uh, they originally started in, in mobile gaming, and now they do uh, content curation for pop culture, basically. Uh, kind of like a YouTube, but it's allowing people to get full royalties for their content as opposed to YouTube. You know how YouTube and Google or whoever gets a percentage, a uh, large percentage of money from the uh, content creators. We don't take any money or any of their profits from the content creators. We get our money from the ads that we put on the different channels. So I just got recently employed by them, being their network manager or whatever that means. Uh, so, yeah, I'm still learning with that. That's, whatever that's, that's, that means. Yeah, I mean, it pays the salary, it's benefits, I'm happy. So on top of everything, you know, God is good is, is, is the end story, I think, that I learned from everything in this pandemic. In the midst of everything that has gone on, I have never had to worry. Um, I've always had my mind focused about, you know, what's going to happen next, what's next. And that's all God, I think, that just keeps me focused, that keeps me uh, aligned. I'm not even here to preach. You know, I'm not a Sam's a preacher's kid. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not the only one in this in the midst that. My grandfather was a pastor. It's in your bloodline. So it is in my blood. You really try to just. I know about the goodness of the law. (laughs) You already know about the goodness of the law. Yes, sir. So, I mean, I never lost my faith in that during that time of the pandemic. And that has a lot to do with it, you know, just that's that helped me to focus even to get this job. I have people definitely sat out in the pandemic and did not work and did not look for a job, did not do anything. On, on the contrary to what people believe, I did not sit on my ass for a year uh, after I lost my job and just like coasted on on uh, the amazing unemployment benefits and severance and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. That stuff was nice. But I was also looking for an actual job that entire time. So God is just faithful when you wait. And when you do wait, God always brings the increase. So I got to give credit where credit is due. But yeah, I, I stay working. I can't not work after being out of, out of a job for over a year. It's just been so eye-opening as far as how much I love doing nine to five gigs. And it's just like, even in entrepreneurship, I found a whole entrepreneur gig that's doing well and it's and it's and I'm, I'm learning a lot about myself in the process of growing that brand but i still need like a little nine to five or something just to keep me occupied uh, and that's mm. so necessary for me i know so i got to get out of that and i think that's a generational thing too maybe that's a uh, young people uh, if you want to go to a nine to five uh, uh after starting up an entrepreneurial venture then i would strongly suggest you Continue to work on that entrepreneurial venture because, you know, it, it, you need it. You need it. Entrepreneurship is so important. And, and I just think that, you know, I would hope that I leave this job that I'm at currently that I just got to start, I just got started with. Hopefully nobody there will be listening to this. But hopefully I get to leave that job and go back to my entrepreneurial venture 100% full time and just run that. And that's what I want to do, you know, run the Better Black Man Company, do the other ventures that I want to do in that. I want to start a podcast with the Better Black Man Company. There's lots of other little things that I want to do. I want to do a whole community effort with that as well, uh, a community uh, entrepreneurial type outreach thing. So there's lots of different avenues that I want to do with the Better Black Man Company. So that's kind of why I would hope to one day just run that 100%. So, I mean, I would encourage everybody black to run their own business because it's so important in this world to have something of your own. I learned that too over pandemic. No job is promised to you, you know? Like, you know, as much as I worked in radio and I knew how radio 
was a come and go type career, I still kind of thought I was safe to the point of, you know, they need me or whatever. And no job really needs you. Everybody is expendable to some extent. So that's why it's really good to just kind of work for yourself and see that even when nobody else needs you, you can need you and you can, you know, you'll always need you. So entrepreneurship, man, that's the way to go for sure. That's the one thing I definitely learned during this pandemic. Being your own boss is an amazing thing. And also, you know, even for me, I understood from learning from Ryan that ownership is 100% key. So that's why I have this platform where I'm editing every episode. I'm finding all the guests. I'm making sure that this platform, this project that I'm pouring into has to mean something, has to represent something. And this this season already has already taken leaps and bounds. And Jared, I appreciate you joining me on this platform because folks didn't have to say yes. There's, there's always the first right of refusal, and I'm grateful that you did not refuse. Sam, I'm definitely going to say yes uh, when it comes to you uh, needing my help. I would hope the same from you. If I need your help, you would come and help me. So uh, I just think we have that bond, and I, you're a brother of mine. So I, I appreciate the call, and you know I'm going to come when you when you need me. Better Black Man, he's got the Searching for Rick podcast and doing so much more, just starting a new position, but has so much more vision for his life and his own personal projects to come. It's been another great episode of What Do I Do Now? Season 2, and I'll be back here next Monday with another brand new episode.